Noah built an ark. It's very interesting, yeah. What else did Noah build? An altar. That's right, Mark. Way to go. Yes. Noah built an altar. And here's what I want to propose to you this morning. I, did I just go off or did I just get turned down? Just turn down? Apparently I'm too loud. Um, Noah's altar that he built was perhaps just as important as the ark that he built. Here's why. Now, this is what we're going to be talking about this morning. Noah stood out in his community. Noah lived in a culture where he was like the only one standing up for God. Now, do you feel like you stand out for the Lord when you live up for your righteous principles that you find out in God's word? Do you feel like you stand out a little bit in your neighborhood, at your workplace, at your school? Do you feel like you just stand out a little bit? Well, the good thing about it is you can gather together with other people who are of like mind and like faith these days, present company included, and you can feel like maybe you're not that much of an oddball. Can you imagine being Noah, who lived in a culture where he literally was the only one standing out for the Lord? He was the only one left in this line of Seth that we've already talked about that was a worshiper of God. I can't imagine how difficult it must have been for him to do that. And these were all his relatives on top of that. God gives us constantly the kind of drumbeat that we are meant to march to. In 1 John 3 and verse 10, it says this. By this is, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. In other words, the Bible makes it very clear that if you are in the category of people who are worshiping God, you will live a certain way. If you are in the category of people who do not worship God, you will live a different way. You march to a different drum. You stick out. This is why Jesus, when he said, I have I'm calling you to be fishers of men. He literally reaches in, pulls us out. That's why he describes us constantly as oddball figures. You are a light of the world. Why? Because the world is dark. You're going to stand out. You are the salt of the earth. Why? Because the world is saltless, tasteless. It is meaningless. You are salt in a saltless world. God never calls us out to hide us. He calls us out to use us. Stick us out there and say, now look, you're gonna feel a little different at time, that's normal. And that's the point. Noah stuck out in his generation and we are meant to as well. And the reason we stick out is because we have two great things in our lives that drive us constantly. Two of the greatest commandments, Jesus put it in his own words. When people ask Jesus, they said, what is the most important commandment? Jesus said, okay, here it is, it's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, right? All means what? All, all right? When you see me, you see all of me, right? Uh, so, so you see all. All is all. Now, Jesus said the second commandment is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. It's okay to love yourself, but you got to love your neighbor just as much as you love yourself. Crazy wild, Right? This means that our drumbeat for living is going to be different than the world around us. The world's marching orders are often in stark contrast to the marching orders we have from God. How do I know that? Can you believe the amount of hate 
in our world today. It is crazy the level of hate that has risen up in the last decade. We're supposed to, the world bangs the drum of let's all just get along. And yet the more we follow those principles, the more we, we propagate this idea of hate on a continual. And if you don't agree with us, we hate you. Yeah. <laughs> hate, hate everywhere you look. God says, not so with you. You love those who love you. You love those who kind of like you. And you love those who, who don't like you, who hate you. And Jesus said, even those who treat you badly. It's good to love people who love you. That's, by the way, easy. It's really hard to love your enemies. Noah chose to be in agreement with God. When Noah got the word that the flood was coming, he said, okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do. I'm in obedience to you. I'm not going to argue with you. We already talked about that. And he was committed to his task to build an ark. When Noah was on the ark, he was in agreement with God. We never have one verse of Noah complaining. Isn't that crazy? Because I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to complain a little bit in my life. Noah, never one verse of complaint. He's on the ark over a year. Smelly, <laughs> smelly animals. I mean, do you think there was a shower on this thing? Smell, yeah, yeah. Salt water, smelly people, lack of food. I, I mean, no lack of food. They were eating, yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like they had a buffet. And the noise, the constant no Have you been on a farm recently? The noise, but he never complained. And when he exited the ark, he was in absolute, complete agreement with God. He never shifted once. Here's a verse that blows me away. Exodus 8, verse 15. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and you and your sons and your sons' wives with you. I don't have this on the overhead, so don't freak out yet. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you, all flesh, the herds, and every living creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm over the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Then down in verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. These would have been his most valuable gifts. These animals would have reproduced on the ark, so he's not killing off anything that he's saved. But he is sacrificing the most valuable thing that he has to sacrifice. Why? Because there are few animals left. Noah takes these animals and he sacrifices them to God. It is a valuable, sacrificial act. And I want you to know that Noah built an ark, but Noah built an altar. And here's why that's important, because no matter what happened to Noah, no matter what he had to complain about that he never did, no matter what he had to gripe about, Noah got on the ark the same way he got off. He got on the ark in obedience to God, he got off the ark in obedience to God, and the first thing he did was he made an altar and he gave a burnt offering to God. And he started a culture that I'm sure every night he prayed would finally worship God, because the culture that didn't was now gone. 
some things. Noah built an altar and worshiped despite his confinement. I want you to put on Noah's shoes just for a minute. He is in perpetual confinement during this flood. On the ark for over a year, not sure when the rain would stop. He didn't know when the rain would stop. 40 days it stopped. Not sure when the dry land would show up. It's 150 days later. And he can't walk out in it or he's going to go quicksand style down to his thighs because everything is soaking wet. So he has to stay on the ark for another 150 days or 180 days. And let me ask you, what would you have experienced? What emotions would you experience if you were in Noah's shoes? What would you, give me some one word feeling emotions that would be going through your mind as you finally feel this ark maybe hit Mount Ararat and you think to yourself, finally we can get off and you still gotta, you gotta wait for the stinking raven to come back that never came back and then you gotta wait for the dove to come back and, and three times to send the dove out and finally comes back with, and you just wait, wait, wait. Emotions, one word emotions, how would you feel? Stir crazy, all right, yeah. Yeah, from somebody who's with children all the time, yeah. What's that? Frustrated. Frustrated, yeah. What else? Angry? Yeah, I think so. Depressed. Depressed. Wouldn't that strike out at you? Come on. Anxious? Yeah. What's that? Claustrophobic. Yeah, maybe a little claustrophobic. Yeah, I just need a shower. <laughs> Noah was never given a timeline of events. Noah was never given, God never said, okay, now just relax, because in 150 more days, you're out of here. No, 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 nothing like that. He's got to sit on this boat and wait, and he's never given any answers. He, I can't imagine, have you ever seen the movie Waterworld? By the way, one of my favorite movies, Kevin Costner, one of the world's worst actors in the entire world, but I love this idea of Waterworld. Have you seen Waterworld? Noah could have thought this was water world for the rest of his life. But nowhere does he complain. In fact, in 1 Peter 2.5, it says, Noah was a herald of righteousness. You would have think that he would say things like, was all this really necessary? Or am I the only one obeying you and you stick me on the boat? Or why do I have to work so hard building this thing when it's all these pagans you have a problem with? No complaining. He just did what he's commanded and he trusted for God. And when this part of his trial was over, he walked off the boat and he still trusted God. Noah was put in a very difficult situation, a confining situation, and never wavered because God was where he needed to be in Noah's heart, number one. Number one for trust. Noah worshiped God despite his inadequacies. Do you know what a burnt offering stands for? Burnt offering stands for two things. It stands for thanksgiving, and it stands for forgiveness. Whenever you see somebody burning a, an animal, those two things are, it's either for thanksgiving, or it's for forgiveness, or it's for both. Now I want you to know, no one knew who he was. Noah was not perfect. Does anybody here think Noah was perfect? Noah was not perfect. And by the way, in a few, chap, in a few verses, in a few verses, he is going to drop the ball big time. We're going to get to talk about it. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. But Noah drops the ball big time. Noah knew who he was. He knew he was saved only because he was given grace by God. Forgiven people know that they've been forgiven and they act like it. People who are not forgiven act like that too. 
If you don't think you have anything to be forgiven of, you're gonna act a certain way. But if you think you are constantly in need of forgiveness because of the ways you're dropping the ball left and right, you're gonna act a different way as well. You've met people in both categories, right? Noah knew who he was. He knew that he was a person who was a sinful person shown grace by God. By the way, Jesus said this is the most important thing. If, if you want a relationship with him, you have to cross this barrier. Jesus said it this way, Luke 5, verse 31. Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Do you know what that means? Jesus, if you're righteous, Jesus doesn't need you. Isn't that crazy? In fact, Jesus doesn't want you. Isn't that great? He didn't come to call righteous people. He came to call sinners to repentance. You want to know why? Because there is none righteous, not even one. You don't think you need Jesus if you think you're righteous. That's the point. But if you think you have a lot to be forgiven for, you suddenly think, you realize how important a Jesus is. God knew who Noah was as well. God was not under the impression that Noah was perfect, but God knew that Noah was distinct in his generation. He was given grace by God because he was, his heart was distinctly connected to God. In fact, the, the way this whole story starts, I don't know if you remember this, in Genesis 6, 8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That's before the flood even came. Noah decided he would be in the line of Seth. He would be like the worshipers of God that came from the line of Seth, spiritual line of Seth, not from the line of Cain, rebels. But he decided that he would walk with God like Enoch, powerful. The only thing that's said about Enoch, we don't know how he looked, we don't know where he lived, we don't know how tall he was, we don't know anything about this guy. All we know is that Enoch walked with God. And it says the same thing about Noah. Noah walked with God, Genesis 6, 9. Next verse, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Now, if there's none righteous, no, not one, why was Noah a righteous man? Aha, good question, right? It doesn't mean that Noah was sinless. It means that Noah knew his heart belonged to God. Noah had decided that his life would matter for God. Noah walked with God. And that's the difference. The difference is those people who walk with God aren't perfect. <laughs> You're sitting beside a bunch of them right now. The people in this church aren't perfect. But the thing that makes us different for us who worship God is that we choose to walk with God. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He was accepted by God and he was grateful for that. And that's where works comes in. Works doesn't earn you a standing before God. Your thankful heart births works. I serve because I know what I have to be thankful for. And so I sacrifice because I know who I have to be thankful to. My life becomes a sacrifice of thanksgiving because which bleeds out into my works. My works don't earn me satisfaction with God. My works don't earn me a reputation with God. My works are an outpouring of who I know that I really am because I know that I have no reason to even have a relationship with God. And so if God says the most important commandment is love me with all your heart, I'm gonna do it. And if God says the second thing is most important, 
The second thing is love your brothers yourself. I'm gonna do it. Noah worshiped despite his feelings. What would be going through Noah's mind at this time? How could a loving God destroy all these people? Maybe that went through his mind. We ask that question ourselves, right? Will this trial ever end? You ever ask yourself that question? That must have gone through his mind. Would God do this again? He wasn't promised anything while he's in the boat. He wasn't promised anything when he made the sacrifice. He wasn't promised anything that God would not do this again. All he knew is what he went through. And despite his questions about God or how God did what he did, Noah's heart for God never changed. That tells you a lot about Noah, right? Let's look at God. God was pleased despite a few things as well. God was pleased despite Noah's failures. Noah had a sin nature alive and well in his heart. He would display this, like I said, he would get stone cold drunk in a few verses from here. And he would engage in a very crass sexual activity with his son. Big time failure. Big time failure. So my question at this point is, why would God, now just sit with me for a second, just consider this. Why would God save a man who has the sin nature passed on to him, who is about to act it out and demonstrate he still has that sin nature? Why would God save him and his family, who, by the way, would also drop the ball big time? Why would God go to all of the trouble to save them, the only family in all of human history, wipe all the rest of the humanity out? Why would go to the, God go to the, to the trouble to save Noah and his family when he knows he's going to retain the in nature after the trial is over. Why not just start again? I mean, Noah's going to understand. He's going to go to heaven. It's going to be better for him than sitting in a boat for a year, right? <laughs> Heaven's better than that. Why wouldn't God just wipe everybody out and start fresh? Start with like no sin nature again and give us a second shot at it. Adam and Eve, they dropped the ball. Let's start again. Why would God go to all that trouble to save one family. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous answer. It's because he's faithful. It's because he loves, <laughs> he loves us. Noah failed big time, but this fact did not affect God's devotion to Noah. And so God decides to make a covenant with this sinful human being. Let me talk to you about covenants for a minute. Covenants are three things. First of all, they are unilateral. They are established by God and not by human beings. God is about to make a covenant with Noah that he would not bring rain that would flood the entire earth ever again with, uh, with Noah. And if you read this carefully, which we don't have the time to do this morning, but encourage you to go home, all of the speaking is done by God. None of it is done by Noah. Here's the verse in chapter eight and verse 21. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma from the sacrifice that, the, the, that um, Noah just offered, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither again will I strike down every living creature as I have done. 
This covenant that God makes with Noah is unilateral. God decides and he verbally vows never to flood the earth again. He verbally blesses Noah's family. He verbally speaks the covenant out loud to Noah. You can read this, go home, it's fun read, but all of it is on God and not on Noah. Why? Because this is a covenant and not a contract. Do you know what a contract is? A contract is something that you draft with somebody else. And you say, if you do this, then I will do this. And if I do this, then you're going to do this. That's a contract. When you get married, you do not make a contract. <laughs> you make a covenant. And here's the difference. Covenant says, no matter what you do, I will do this for you. No matter how you behave, I will be this for you. No matter how life tackles against us and fights against us, I will be this kind of person for you. Count on it. That's covenant. You want to know why marriage is a covenant? Because of your marriage vows. Think back. Let's see if I can remember what the marriage vows are. God knows I've said them enough times in all the weddings I've done. I promise to be this, uh, to be a husband to you, to love and to cherish you until death does part through sickness and in health, rich or poor, for better or for worse, and sickness and health, we said that, until what? There's no if in there. The if would be, if you, you know, if you're outrageous good person in bed. Then I'm going to do this for you. Or if you have dinner on the table for me at the end of the day, then I'm going to do this. Or if, if you stay healthy so I don't have to spend my fortune that I've gathered up to this point in my life for doctor's bills, then I'll do this. Or there's no if there. Marriage is a covenant. And that's why everything that is done in marriage points back to God. Even when the father brings the daughter forward and hands her, puts her little tiny hand into the hand of some complete crazy, all, crazy stranger boy. <laughs> and then he sits down crying because he knows he was that age at one point. <laughs> Even giving that daughter away is a, is a, is a, a visible picture of God bringing Eve to Adam and handing Eve off to Adam and saying, Eve, you are Adam's responsibility. Adam, she is your responsibility. Everything in marriage, is, it, it always points back to God and one of the biggest moments is the covenant that is made in marriage. Because the covenants don't have ifs. You will be this person for the rest of your life. And that's why when I do marriage counseling with, with, uh, with people, I always say, now, you need to know my job. My job from this point over the next eight to 10 weeks is I am gonna try and talk you out of this. Because if I can talk you out of this, you should not be getting married. But if I can't talk you out of this, maybe you should consider being married. Because it is a powerful decision that you make. Anyway, covenants are not contracts. God makes a covenant with Noah that passes on to us. Why? Because covenants don't have an end date. And God makes a covenant with Noah that does, this covenant does not have an end date. And by the way, 
what did Noah really have to bargain with God for anyway? What did he have to give God that would earn him any sort of a contractual issue, uh, uh, agreement? Not a thing. Covenants are eternal. They, ne- they never end, no matter what happens on the other person's side of things. Covenants are also eternal. Uh, yes, sorry. That was, uh, the, the, they're established by God. They're eternal. They never end, no matter what. Listen to the verse again in verse 21. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Three times in this covenant, God says the word never. Now, let that settle in for a second. God says never. How many times have you said, I'll never do that again, and you did it? (laughs) How many times, right? How many times have you said, I will never do that again, and you end up doing the exact same thing? Yeah, that's right, because we're all sinners. But God is not affected by sin. So when God says never, guess what God means? Never. You want to know some great Bible verses that say the word never in them, that God speaks? You're going to, oh, first of all, before we get to that, keep it up there. But before we get to that, that's my fault, Megan. Um, Peter. Let's pick on Peter for a second. Peter said, if if all these other morons leave you, I will never forsake you. And who's the first person that abandoned him? Well, actually, he wasn't the first. They all ran away in the garden, but he was the last, but he did. Not only did he forsake him, but he did it three times. That just means we're sinners, and we, can't, we have a hard time keeping our word, but God never breaks his word. Psalm, 5, Psalm 55, 22, cast your burdens on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will, say it with me, church, he will... Never permit the righteous to fall. Jesus uses the word never all, all the time. John 8, 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. John eleven twenty six. 26. Jesus says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And when God and Jesus, when, when, when they say never, they mean never. <laughs> I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. Listen, when God makes a covenant with you, God's not like us. We break our word. But God never does. Third, covenants are established on grace. Grace, not grace, grace. Nothing can merit them. It is a decision for God, from God. Verse 21, back to the covenant. I will never again curse the ground because of man, God says, for the intention of man's heart is what, church? Evil from its youth. Was God under any impression that Noah was not going to be perfect? No, he knew that he knew Noah was not going to be perfect. This part of the covenant, by the way, is both humbling and comforting. It's humbling because it tells us who we are in plain terms. And who are we, church? We are sinners from our youth. Now the world will tell you that you are born tabla rosa. Do you know what that means? Blank slate. That means that your environment or your crappy parents or your school or your crummy friends, they're all going to influence you and make you into a really crazy, whacked out individual. But God does not back that up with his theology. And nothing in scripture backs that up either. You want to know why you do bad things? It's because you are a sinner from birth. You want to know how I know that? One of my favorite people in this church that we have here is Lil Corbin. Love Lil Corbin. 
Saw him roll over for the first time last year. Now he's running like crazy around the place. Corbin is not a sinner, true or false? <laughs> His mother said false. Corbin struggles with sin just like we do. Why? Because it's mine, mine, I want, need this, give me, give me, selfish, selfish. Fortunately, we grow out of that by the time we grow up. We don't, we never do. And God is under no impression, and neither was Noah, that he was perfect and that's why he was saved. Noah was saved because God had grace and God loved him and God chose to show him mercy. It's humbling because we know we are sinners from birth, but it's comforting because it tells us how God feels about us regardless of our past. Remember, God, God knows who you are better than you know yourself. He knows what you're capable of more than you do yourself. And he still offers you grace and love and mercy and forgiveness and hope. In fact, the only reason you can love God at all is because he loved you first. We love him because he first loved us. And our hearts were only allowed to be open and accept his love because he opened the door for us. God washes us clean of our sin and chooses us to welcome, welcome us in as his children. Noah knew he was gonna let God down. God knew that Noah was gonna let him down. But God was determined to squelch Noah's fears. And so God made a covenant with Noah. And with that sacrifice that Noah gave, Noah continued to demonstrate his heart always belonged to God. He would be always calling on the name of the Lord. He called upon the name of the Lord before the flood arrived. He called upon the name of the Lord, making an altar after the flood was over. God knows our hearts. My, one of the most devastating things in my life I'm 47 years old, 48 in a couple of days. Don't, don't forget, Beth. Um, my list of friends and acquaintances who have abandoned the faith grows every year. And it breaks my heart. People I grew up with and I thought, they have the strongest faith. I, I wish I would have faith like them drop the ball. They demonstrate their true colors. They abandon the faith for fame, for power, for money, or for sex, and it's usually the latter. And you gotta change your heart if you're gonna buy into a different value system. And so they start by changing their minds about what the Bible really says and who God really is. You see, you can't hold on to the God of Noah if you're gonna live like Judas. You've got to think God is a different kind of person. And so you have to retrain your brain. And so people abandon the faith in order to live sinfully. And the list of people in my life only grows and it breaks my heart. And I know I could be one of them. Given the right circumstances, Given the right situations, I could fall in a heartbeat as well. But here's the difference. 
Those whose hearts belong to God know who they are, they know what they're capable of doing, and when they drop the ball, they run back to Jesus. They don't reinterpret Jesus, they don't reevaluate their theology, they don't buy into a less demanding theology. They run back to the faith they know is deep inside here, and they run back into the arms of a forgiving and loving God because they know there they'll find forgiveness if they repent and turn from their wicked ways. And there's victory, and there's release, and there's a clean conscience. And that is how people who belong to God operate. And that's how you know if your faith is real. It doesn't matter what you have done or where you have come from or what you struggle with now. What matters is how is your heart toward God through the times of trials, struggles, and even temptation. And when you fall into sin because of temptation, what is your attitude after that? Noah's attitude was he was right back with God. He didn't reinterpret God. He didn't reevaluate his relationship with God. He ran right back into the arms of God. I did a counseling session with a guy who loved his wife, had a beautiful family, fell into sin, went over to counsel somebody that he shouldn't have been with alone, ends up having a sexual relationship one time. Fell big time. Talked with him after that and said, well, what happened afterwards? He said, Life fell apart. I couldn't justify what I did. I knew I was wrong, and they found him in his office, curled up in a ball the next day, bawling uncontrollably. And he went from there, and he confessed his sins to individuals, face-to-face uh, to, to -face with people, and most of all to God. And he was forgiven by his wife, and he was restored, and they have a stronger marriage than they ever had before. And their kids are still strong in the faith and God has still blessed their family. But the difference is not are we perfect when we come to God. The difference is how do we handle things when they come our way? Temptation, struggles, even failure into sin. How do we handle that when it comes our way? Because that demonstrates whether our hearts really do belong to God. Because if they don't, we'll reinterpret God so that God is in our image instead of us being in his. So if you drop the ball, welcome to the club. The question is, is God where he needs to be in your heart? And that will come through in how you handle trial, struggles, and even sin. We obey because we know who we are without God. We don't obey to earn favor with God. We obey because we know who we are because of God. And listen, you never know the deal God has for you. Noah gets a deal that lasts for all, all of human time. That's crazy, isn't it? Because Noah was faithful. God said, okay, I'm going to make a covenant with you that'll last through all generations. It lasted for his sons and his family. Look at this. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I'm establishing my covenant with you and with your offspring after you. Oh, thank God. My kids never have to worry about this happening again. Wouldn't that be a huge relief from your shoulders as a parent? You don't know if this is going to happen again. Every time it rains, you could walk outside and go, this is it. We're all going to die. <laughs> but nobody, nobody fears like that anymore. You, you don't fear like that. When you walk outside and see a thunderstorm, do you ever think, oh, we're all dead. We're all doomed. This is it. 
Noah's family first was promised this. You and your offspring, you never have to worry. This will happen again. Not only that, all creatures, all living creatures, and every living creature that is with you, the birds and the livestock, every beast of the field that is with you, as many as come out of the ark as for every beast of the field, this is what this promise is for. And it also goes to the rest of human history. Look at this. I establish my covenant with you that will never, uh, th- that never again, never means never, shall all flesh be cut off from the waters of the land and never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. You have one person to thank for your fearlessness of walking in the rain, and that is Noah. Because of Noah's obedience, you don't fear that the world would be flooded ever again. And not only that, but God gives a sign. (laughs) The sign is, is so cool, right? I love the rainbow. God said, verse 12, This is a sign of the covenant that will be between me and you. Every living creature that is with you, all future generations will see the sign. I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When the clouds gather, don't fear. Look up, you'll see this rainbow. Now, this is very interesting because God uses science to give us a sign. It had never rained before Noah. There had been dew that had come up from the earth There'd been mist, there'd been fog, but there'd never been rain before. This is the first time that Noah or any human being has seen rain and God uses science to demonstrate the sign. Because there had been never rain before, there was never a rainbow before because uh, light is white. Abby will help me with this. We just did a project on this, right? Light is white. When you see light, you see white, but When light hits the refraction of the pellets of rain in the air, it refracts all different colors. And when it hits your eye, you see color. The reason you see rainbow is because there are rain droplets in the sky. God uses uses science to give us a symbol. Now, he could have given us like a rock. He's done that before. He's, he could have given us like a sign that is like n- not very beautiful, but he gives us this beautiful, every time I'm driving down the road and there's a rainbow, my kids are always going, oh, there's a rainbow, there's a rainbow. Why is it a thing of beauty? Because God determined it would be. And God gives us a thing of beauty as a sign. By the way, our church, if you're a Christian, you also have a sign, a sign of your salvation. And it's not a thing of beauty, it's a thing of death. God loves giving us signs that remind us who we are because of him. And the cross represents who we are because of Jesus Christ. The rainbow reminds us that God will never flood this planet again. And he says, any generation can look into the sky and see the sign. And as long as you see the sign, the promise is for you. Abraham saw it, Moses saw it, Jesus saw it. Every worshiper of God sees a sign. Every hater of God sees the sign. And they all have the same promise. Why? Because it is a covenant, not a contract. Thanks to one man's obedience and devotion to God. Noah wasn't perfect. He was just redeemed. God could have started over, but he chose to save Noah. He loved him that much. And so church, the message this morning is that your heart does make a difference. Your obedience does make a difference. How do we respond when the world crumbles around us? We worship, we build an altar, we sing praises to God. How do we respond when we lose our culture? 
We worship. We do what Noah did. How do we respond when we seem like the oddball in our generation? We still worship. We still seem odd. We worship. Worship must include a bunch of different things, but most of all, it includes forgiveness and thanksgiving. Colossians 2, 6, Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in what, church? Abounding in thanksgiving. Do you know why worship riddled with thanksgiving is so helpful for us? It reminds us that God never forgets us. It reminds us that God is a God who makes promises. It reminds us of who we are because of Jesus Christ. It reminds us that even though we go through tests and trials, there's still blessings that we're missing. Thankful hearts bring us back to what's important, what God is doing. It reminds us that even though the world crumbles, we have the hope of heaven from a God that cannot break his promises. You have more to be thankful for than you have to be grumbling over. Worship keeps our lives clean, reminds us how much we need Christ. No matter how many things happen to us, how many times people disappoint us, God accepts us. He chooses to love us. And you can put your head on the pillow with this verse in your mind every night because God covenants with you. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. People might ask you what claim we have to be calling ourselves righteous. They know who we are, right? They hear what we say. They see us drop the ball. Your kids could write a book about you. <laughs> Paul the Apostle would have struggled with this big time because Paul the Apostle was once Saul the killer. And yet Paul's life was changed and he threw himself into that change and he allowed Jesus to use his life our defense is simply this. God has chosen to bestow his love on me and use me for greater things. So, what do I have to bring the Lord? Not a whole lot. Why does he choose to use me? <laughs> because he's faithful. Because he's outstandingly loving. Because he's outrageously great, gracious. And because he has a plan for our lives. If we would only be faithful, back. God makes personal covenants with us. How do you feel about that? What do you think? Does it take God to lift him up a little bit? Shove you down a little bit more? If so, mission accomplished. Because that's where you should be. We come to communion. Yeah, bring him in. Let the kids free. Come on in, guys. Find somebody that likes you or wants to take you home. One or the other is fine. As we come to communion, I want to ask you one question while the kids are finding people that still like them and belong. Oh. Such cuties. Look at them. We finish our services every time with communion. Why do we do that? Because we want to make sure, you, did you want to stand up here a little bit? Uh, <laughs> we want to make sure that the gospel is clearly presented before we depart. And here's how I want to do this this morning. How do you think Noah emerged from the ark? 
grateful, confused. Obviously, he was offering a burnt offering, so you can see his heart in that. I want you to know we approach the table the same way that Noah emerges from the ark. We come to this table, we drink this juice, and we're going to eat this bread. Not because we're declaring who we are, but we're declaring who God is and who he has made us to be. Noah didn't get off the ark and say, good thing I thought of this. Good thing I came up with this idea. It saved my family. Noah came out of that ark grateful that he had been saved, thankful that his family was still alive, scared of the future, but fully trusting in what God had for him. And every time we come to the table, we come with the same attitude, grateful that God has done something in our lives, that he has given us Jesus Christ. That's why when you drink the juice, it's a representation of the blood of Jesus. That's what it took so that you could have a relationship with the Father. You're not righteous, but you take on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, so now you can have a relationship with the most holy being that has ever existed. Jesus died so that you could be washed in the blood and made clean. And the bread that you eat, that's a representation of the body that was given for us because Jesus had to take on flesh so that that flesh could be cracked open and bleed blood. When we come to the table, we come with the same attitude that Noah emerged from the ark with, and that is we are grateful that we have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we have been given a gift in Jesus that makes us right with God. We don't come with the impression that we've earned this. We come with the impression that we are thankful for the gift that we have received. And so the way we do communion here is if... uh, If you don't know the Lord as your savior, we have open communion. So if you know Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to him, if you fully understand, well, who fully understands? If you understand that Jesus died for your sins and you are in desperate need of forgiveness, you are welcome to come and drink and eat with us and declare that to be true for you. But if you don't know Jesus as your savior, if you've never given your life to him, if you don't understand how his death bought your salvation, The most important thing we could give to you this morning is we could explain that to you in a one-on-one after the service. And if you'd like to do that, that's what I'm here for. Mark's uh, always available afterwards as well. Mark, raise your hand up there. Mark, he's our prayer man, and he'll he'll, uh, uh, talk through salvation with you and answer any questions that you have. And maybe you're ready to make a decision tonight, today. And if you are, you shouldn't leave this place before you do. My goal is that you put your head on your pillow tonight and know I am saved. I know I'm saved. It's not because of what I've done, but it's because of Jesus Christ. And we can give you that satisfaction so that you can claim Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. So if you don't know Christ as your savior, let the cup pass, let the bread pass, pass it to the person next to you. Nobody will think any weird stuff is going on. They won't think, there's no judging in this room. We all know who we are. But if you haven't had those questions answered, that's the most important thing we could do for you. Better than any juice or cracker we could give you. This juice and this cracker represents who we are because of Jesus Christ. So if you know that, even if you're from another church and just visiting with us, take, stand, the band will be playing, sing with us, worship with us. We're gonna sing a great song, can't wait to sing it. And then once all of us have the juice and the cracker, stand and we'll be standing, we'll be singing. I'll come up front, I'll read a verse of scripture. We participate together. Why? Because we're all in the same boat. (laughs) You like that? (laughs) No. Yeah, we're all in the same boat. 
But the boat that saves us isn't built of wood, it's built of flesh and blood. We come to God through Jesus Christ. So, before we do any of this, I'm gonna give you a moment to uh, bow your heads and maybe this morning give thanks to God that, yeah, like the burnt offering, maybe you need to ask for forgiveness for one or two things. Maybe there's something that the Holy Spirit has put right here and you need to take care of that. Do it. And then remember the second part of burnt offerings is thanksgiving. Give God thanks for his ultimate, unending, merciful forgiveness because of Jesus Christ. Would you take time to do that this morning? Truly, if we were to think through a list of the things we have to be thankful for, it would be unending. And if we were to create another list of all the things we have to be forgiven for, it may be even a bit longer. But because of Jesus Christ, we have been eradicated of the guilt of our sin, of the pain and penalty of our sin. You have removed that from us and you have placed it on the shoulders of your son, Jesus Christ, who took all of it on his shoulders on the cross and washed it away for any who would believe. You welcome them in as forgiven children of God. And so if there's anything that tops our list this morning of things to be thankful for, it is that we have been forgiven through the blood of Jesus and we have been welcomed into the family of God. And so we give you thanks. Thank you for accepting us no matter where we've been or what we've done. Like Noah, help us to emerge from this place, from this room, as he emerged from the ark with a deeper understanding of how much we have to be grateful for. And may our lives be an altar of sacrifice every day for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.